Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles. This is episode 16 and I'm your host, Angela. For the observant ones of you out there, you will notice that I'm flying solo today. And that's for a few reasons. I sacked everyone. No, I didn't really. Um, Kerry's moving back to London. Grace and Paula are off on a research project for a really big show that we're going to be running in the next couple of weeks. Now, that's not to say I'm not helping them with research. We've all got our, our part to play on that front. So more details on that show to come soon. So, what am I going to talk about this week? Well, as everyone knows who listens to the shows, but those who don't know, um, each week we normally come armed with a story from the world of rock and pop and our hot pick of the week of new music by a band or an artist. So, I'm still going to be telling you a story today and I'm still going to be playing new music. I'm just going to be able to play you even more new music than we would normally play. And I just want to shout Shout out thanks to all of the artists and bands that have emailed us their music. We do have quite a bit of a backlog of stuff to listen to and hopefully I can get through some of that um, today. So I've gone through and pulled out some of my favourites that I'd like to share with you. And so first up is a band called Animal Breakdown with their song Night Garden. Animal Breakdown are a London-based band who... um, have been around, I think, for, for the last couple of years and they've been receiving quite quite great reviews for their, their music. They released a double single in um, 2019, which got them a little bit of attention. Uh, but their new song is absolutely incredible. As I said, it's called Night Garden. And they say the song is about all the difficulties of trying to survive when you have nothing. It takes a look at what you might have to do to make ends meet. The subject matter is a bit dark, it's a bit gritty... Um, without a glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. This is Night Garden.
So that was Animal Breakdown with Night Garden. And you can find them across all of the social platforms that you'd regularly visit. So it's Animal Breakdown on Spotify, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Please do stream the song. Please save it. Add it to a playlist. Share it with your friends. I say it all the time. It really does make a massive difference. So I suppose with that song, I quite like it because it's got that sort of 90s guitar band vibe to it. Uh, that's that's not to say that it sounds like it's from the 90s. I think it's it's very, very current. And what I really loved was the sort of driving passion and pain that comes out in the energy of that that song. And if you go back and listen to it, uh, take take a, take a listen to the, the lyrics. It's got things like, hold your head to the sky, don't let me see you cry, don't let them see your fear, and, and things like, because no one's going to know your name. And it's, it's sort of this real sort of desperation around it and uh it's quite sort of tinged with with sadness and that kind of anxiety i suppose of um of people wanting to to get somewhere or be somewhere or or wanting to be understood or recognized for for what you're doing and uh i think it ties in really nicely with the legend from rock that i want to talk about today so i'm just going to jump straight in with that one so the band i'm going to talk about now you may or may not have heard of them, which is the whole point of this of this story. Uh, it's the band Big Star, and Big Star were an American rock band formed in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1971 by Alex Chilton, Chris Bell, Jody Stevens, and Andy Hummel. The band's musical style drew on the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Birds, that kind of vibe, and while mainstream success eluded them. Big Star's three albums have become sort of critically lauded touchstones, I suppose you could you could say. And there's a great documentary on Netflix, or it was on Netflix. It might have come down now, um, but but look look it up. It's uh, it, it's called Big Star. Ah, I can't remember the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's a documentary about them, so it's it's really great. And and I watched this documentary. Um, probably a year or two ago, I think. And it was actually a feature that I had put in the first version of this podcast, which was called Tram Tracks with with Paula from the band um, years ago that we kind of did One Drunken Night and then forgot about it and didn't do anything with it. But anyway, I, I kind of wanted to touch on this story because I just, I yeah, I, I think I think this will be something that a lot of bands and people can relate to. Anyway, the music they produced was a style that foreshadowed the sort of alternative rock of um, the 1980s and 1990s. It was a sort of melting pot of styles from, as I mentioned, like the, the British invasion of vocal harmonies, such as what the, the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones were doing. Um, but it also had sort of like a country and Delta blues style in there that kind of really made them a unique sound um, of their time. And has never stopped inspiring um, succeeding generations. I suppose you could say that their music was probably ahead of their time, which may have impacted their their success. Uh, so, you know, inspiring bands such as R.E.M., The Flaming Lips, Cheap Tricks, Teenage Fan Club, Wilco, Primal Scream and Counting Crows, to name but a few, have all cited um, this band as being a very, very big, big influence on them. And Rolling Stone magazine, at the time of the release of one of their albums, and I can't, I can't remember for the life of me which one it was. I'll have to link back to the article in the show notes. But it said, you know, this is the best album that we've heard in a very, very long time. Um, you know, it it was incredible music, but for some reason, like so many other bands, they just didn't make it into into the big the big time. They had yes, they had a record deal, but they just kind of reached their their peak and just couldn't couldn't break through any further. So I suppose what I want to say is this episode is dedicated to all the bands and artists out there making great records. Some of us will go the distance, the majority of us won't, sadly, but that doesn't mean that your music is is any less good or deserving of attention than those receiving millions of streams. I mean, it's part luck. It's part timing. It's partly to do with the resources that you have at your disposal. Um, but one thing's for sure: there's no there's no magic route to success. And sometimes you can have 
all the money in the world, all of the resources in the world, but still your music just just doesn't doesn't fly. And so with that, what I just I just want to say is to enjoy making music, appreciate the reviews and streams you get, even if it's only a small number for most of us. You're still doing what you love and someone somewhere is listening and who knows where that might lead. There's a great biographical piece on mpr.com, I think. I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's all I'm going to keep saying throughout this show. Uh, anyway, in this article that's about uh, Big Star, there's a wonderful quote from Peter Buck from REM in there. And it says, only 1,000 people bought the Velvet Underground's album in the 1960s. But every one of those people went on and formed a band. This also holds true for a southern band called Big Star, whose albums in the 1970s sold even fewer copies than the Velvet Underground, where their reputation is almost just as large. Some say that this band would have the worst luck in American history, but before we get to that, let's go back to where it all began. Alex Chilton was born on December 28, 1950. He grew up in a musical family. His dad was a jazz musician, so no surprises there. And as a teenager, Alex got his first taste of being in a band when he was recruited to join Ronnie and the Devils, but they subsequently changed their name to Box Tops. After word spread about this incredible band, they soon caught the attention of the music industry. Alex, at just 16, recorded his first professional recording at American Studios. It was called The Letter and it went to number one. It was an international hit and not their only one either. However, the songs were largely written by producer Chips Moman and singer-songwriter Dan Penn and Wayne Carson. The group decided to disband in February 1970, so they really hadn't been together all that long at all. And Alex went off to Memphis State University to study and begin work on his solo career. This was also about the time that he started to learn how to play guitar and started experimenting with, with writing. But he was still sending demos to the original team that he worked with back with um, his first band, Box Tops. Also, there's a fact um, that I picked up, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, because I've, I've read a few versions of this. But apparently, Alex Chilton was asked to front Blood, Sweat and Tears, but turned it down as he thought it was too commercial. Alex would later go on to be the lead singer for the band Big Star. So let's move on to the next key member of the band. Christopher Bramford Bell was born on January the 12th, 1951. He started playing music at just age 12 and was heavily influenced by British groups such as the Beatles, the Yardbirds and the Who. Bell played in a number of Memphis garage bands beginning in the 1960s. One of those bands was called The Jinx, which was a takeoff of obviously the British band The Kinks. And it was, it was made of, up of local musicians and they would have a number of lead vocalists joining the group through their shows and rehearsals at the time, although none of them are actually present on, the, on those recordings one of which of those singers was Alex Chilton. So this was the first time that Chris and Alex uh, would meet and get to know each other before they would later go on and form the band Big Star. The Jinx split up in 1966. Uh, Bell continued to perform and record in Memphis throughout the rest of the next decade. He also then went on to writing original songs and he was brought into the studio to record some of his first professional recordings as a session guitarist. The drummer of Big Star, yes, because I'm moving on to the next the next band member, uh, the drummer was Jodie Stevens, who was born on October the 4th, 1952, also from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, interesting fact that I learned about Jodie was that he also played in a band called Golden Smog that had members of Jayhawks and Soul Asylum in there. So there you go. And when he was not on tour with Big Star, he worked as CEO of Ardent Studios, the same studio Big Star recorded all their albums. Now, in my uh, attempt at researching this, I couldn't really find a huge amount about Jodie Stevens. Um, there's there's lots about him talking about the, the group Big Star, but not like about his, his life or anything like that. But I did find on a site um, some random facts. It's... Uh, What's it called? Let me let me read this to you because I just I just found it quite quite amusing. It's a uh, Jodie Stevens FAQs twenty twenty facts rumors and the latest gossip. So uh, latest gossip. Let's have a look. What is Jodie Stevens zodiac sign and horoscope? 
Well, I read out his date of birth, so I think it's pretty, uh, if you wanted to, you could look it up yourself. But uh, in case you're lazy, he's a Libra. So, uh, yeah, which is the ruling planet of Libra. Sorry, the ruling planet of Libra is Venus. Therefore, lucky days are Fridays and lucky numbers are 6, 15, 24, 33, 42, 51. So go and put them on the uh, National Lottery. Then there's some sort of weird poll that says, is Jodie Stevens gay or straight? Do we care? Does it matter? No. Um, what instruments does Jodie Stevens plays? Uh, play even um jody stevens does know how to play various instruments some of these are well known such as a drum kit and singing um and then what other facts are there he started his career in 1971 and um oh this 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 might be a fun one does jody stevens do drugs it is no secret that many celebrities have been caught with illegal drugs in the past some even openly admit to their drug usage. Do you think that Jodie Stevens does smoke cigarettes, weed or marijuana? Question mark. Or does Jodie Stevens do steroids, coke or even stronger drugs such as heroin? Tell us your opinion. So really this site isn't actually any facts, is it at all? It's just, um, there's even, what what's his net worth? And you can guess. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, we can we can leave this site well alone, and I don't think I need to put that in the show notes. So let's move on to the next band member. Okay, final member of the band was Andy Hummel, and he was born John Andrew Hummel on January 26, 1951, in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was born to the parents John Vernon and Barbara Walker Hummel, and she was crowned Miss America in 1947. There you go. So he was raised, actually, in Memphis, Tennessee and graduated in 1969 from Memphis University School. Hummel became good friends with Chris Bell during high school and the pair frequently performed along with several other musicians, including drummer Jody Stevens. So basically all of the band members um, from Kids had actually really all, all known each other, gone off and, and forged their own music careers with other bands before coming together. Um... So in 1971, Bell asked singer Alex Chilton to join him, Hummel and Stevens in a group that would eventually be named Big Star. But before that, Chilton had actually asked Bell to work with him as a duo modelled on Simon and Garfunkel, but Bell declined, but invited Chilton to a performance to see his own band Icewater. And the members of that band was, was Bell, of course, drummer Jody Stevens and bassist Andy Hummel, well, Chilton was absolutely blown away by Ice Water's music that he decided to show the three band members um, his new song, Watch the Sunrise. They they loved it and they asked him to immediately join the band. Uh, both Watch the Sunrise and 13, which were um, Chilton's songs that he'd written, were subsequently included on Big Star's first album, which is number one record. That's that's the name of it. Uh, Jinx or not? I don't know. I think they might have jinxed themselves there. Anyway, so they were now a four-piece and they adopted the name Big Star. So how did they get that name? I mean, it's uh, it's kind of jinxing themselves all the way, I think. There was some sort of bad luck attributed to their name. So number one record and the band's called Big Star. Anyway, um, so how did they get the name? One of the members was given the idea... Um, from a grocery store they often visited for snacks during recording sessions. One of the many Big Star Market outlets in Memphis region at the time had a logo consisting of a five-pointed star enclosing the words Big Star. As well as the store's name, the band used its logo, but without the word star to avoid infringing copyright and, and all of that jazz. So that's uh, so they took the name of a supermarket, just like Oasis took the name of a drink and used that. I don't know that they did actually do that, but yes. Or was it the clothes shop? Who knows? And this is totally when I want to insert some comedy laughter, studio laughter, canned laughter, whatever you want to call it, because I'm on my own and there's no reactions. Which, as an aside, I'd just like to say the best person to do a podcast with is actually Kerry, because Kerry laughs at absolutely anything uh, not just not just at me, but like at 
at anything that anyone says. She makes people feel like they're stand-up comedian geniuses. So um, yeah, I'm sure she's responsible for some pretty bad uh, comedy gigs out there somewhere. Thankfully, I haven't um, <laughs> decided to go down down that route. Um, okay, so back to the story. So the group had formed four band members, tickety-boo, all going well. Bell and Chilton wrote most of the group's songs with the occasional writing contributions from Hummel and uh, Stevens. But they also had things like keyboards and session horn players and, and things like this um, for, their, for their first album and other albums too. Uh, and you could tell from this that Bell was even more influenced by the music of the British invasion than Chilton, and he steadfastly retained his Beatles-orientated pop influences throughout his career. So things seem to be getting off to a good start, um, but I can tell you it's not a story that ends that ends well for a number of reasons. There's religion, Christianity involved, there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's depression, there's stress in the studios there's records that are incredible that are going unnoticed and i'm going to talk about all of that after our next piece of music piece of music that sounded a bit posh um our next song by a fantastic group that is worthy of your ears Tiles with the B-side from their single Black Heart and the song I just played was called Eggshells and that came out on the 1st of May so please do head over to Spotify or wherever you stream your music and check that out like it, add it to a playlist share it with your friends 
or even better, go and buy a copy from iTunes or Bandcamp or Amazon um, and really support the band. So when they sent their details over, they described themselves as punky, grungy and shoegat. Oh, I can't speak at all. But then, to be honest, I've listened back to a lot of these podcasts um, and I think I have a real real lack of ability of speaking anyway. Um, but thank you for, for putting up with it and listening to the podcast. But anyway, yeah, so I suppose they said that they're paying homage to Pixies and Peel and I can certainly hear um, a bit of Pixies in there, especially if you listen to the title single on this Black Heart. The... Um, the, the lead guitar hook riff is very reminiscent of the the pixies it's uh it's a it's a really really cool part but um yeah i i really i really loved the the b-side of this of the single i liked both songs but i picked the b-side it just really stood out to me i think it's that driving bass line the really dun, 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 the, yeah I, i'm just going to do a cover of their song uh recreating all the uh musical accompaniments with my voice jesus okay back to the story so where had we left off so the four band members had formed big star they'd named the band and they were heading into the studio to write now um chilton and bell kind of dominated the whole writing process really uh for the first for the first album they sort of modeled themselves on a sort of lennon and mccartney writing duo format so that was all very very deliberate although the other band members did contribute to uh the main songwriting was was the the pair of them and they went in to the studio and although they worked with a producer um who was the producer's name da, 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 terry manning um they who actually also contributed some backing vocals and keyboards to the recording but he would actually say publicly that um it was more the band that produced the record he recorded it but the band would go back late at night and do overdubs and experiment and they really kind of learn how to become great songwriters within a studio environment and think about sounds beyond just what they were playing but how everything would fit together and and what other layers they could they could put in place um which is pretty incredible for bands even at that time um to be experimenting in that way so they put together the record and they called it number one records that hashtag one record is what it is and it's it's full of beautiful songs like you know you've got real kind of rock moments and even the prettiest songs have this kind of darker tension and energy to them. Um, and the album received absolutely glowing reviews, really strong reviews from the likes of Rolling Stone. And um, Billboard went as far to say every cut could be a single. Rolling Stone judged the album exceptionally good. And while Cashbox stated the album is one of those red letter days when everything falls together as a total sound and called it an important record that should go to the top with proper handling. When I looked this up, I had to, you know, I thought, who, I've never heard of Cashbox. I'm sorry, sorry, guys. I know people in America probably gone, what, what? But uh, yeah, so I looked it up and Cashbox was a music industry trade magazine originally published um, every week from 1942 to 1996. And interestingly, Cashbox, the statement of saying with proper handling, this album should, you know, essentially go far, uh, was was almost a bit of a warning really and uh, something that the label didn't really adhere to proper handling was not forthcoming by Stax records they proved unable to either promote or distribute the record with any degree of success and even when the band's own efforts to get airplay generated interest fans were unable to buy it as Stax could not make it available in many stores Stax, in every effort to improve its catalogue's availability, signed a deal with Columbia Records, already successful distributors in the US, I might add, um, and making Columbia responsible for the entire Stax catalogue. But Columbia had no interest in dealing with independent distributors previously used by Stax and removed even the existing copies of number one record from the stores. I think you can imagine how frustrating, upsetting, devastating and everything in between that must have been for the band putting their heart and soul into that record and and for it to just you know even when they did find fans for them not to be able to to get to get that music 
uh, it's incredibly difficult. And I suppose being in bands, we forget that, I mean, not that me or, you know, I was releasing records in the 70s, I'm not that old. But I, I suppose the point is what the internet has done is is kind of ease those issues with distribution, that music can be readily available with or without a label and has kind of really changed the role of distributor as physical sales of albums um, sort of declined and, uh, well, not just sort of declined, they continue to to decline today. Um, but I suppose we do have other challenges as musicians as to as to things like, you know, the the hierarchy of, of playlisting and, and things like this and and that being quite a closed network, uh, whereas DJs on the radio, you know exactly who they are and can can target them. But then, you know, going through a kind of band 101, you need to have money to get a plugger. You need a PR agent. But all of this stuff was still true back then, too. But uh, I suppose what I'm saying is that the ability to release music is at least has at least improved. Anyway, back to our story. So the record, number one record, uh, the album, it immediately received widespread acclaim and there were distribution issues, as I've already mentioned, but the great reviews continued to come in for like a good six-month period and still the issues just hadn't been resolved. Um, I suppose the album sold fewer than 10,000 copies on its initial release which was really unfortunate for the band because it was and still is such a great record anyway tensions with the band began to grow when i say tensions i mean this was actually really quite extreme uh, there was physical fighting between band members bell after being punched in the face by hummel retaliated by smashing hummel's new bass guitar to pieces against the wall hummel then took revenge at a later date finding bell's acoustic guitar in in his unattended car and then he repeatedly punched it with a screwdriver well stabbed it i suppose uh so in november 1972 bell quit the band um but when work continued on the songs of the second album bell rejoined but further conflict soon erupted the master tape went missing and bell whose heavy drug intake was affecting his judgment attacked um one of the members parked cars uh, I mean, by late 1972, he was struggling with severe depression and Bell quit the band once more. And by the end of the uh, year, Big Star had actually disbanded. And it's really sad because Radio City, which was their second album, is hailed as their absolute masterpiece. I mean, it contained so, so many, so many um, great, great tracks on there, such as Oh My Soul. Uh, which is one of my favourites. But I suppose the most famous one is September Girls, spelt G-U-R-L-S. Um, but there's there's also, what else is on that? There's uh, Life is White, Way Out West, uh, Modelang, Back of a Car. It's, it's both polished and completely raw sounding. Uh, there's There's certainly this much more sort of frantic sound to it. And I suppose... Actually, I think it's a little bit more commercial sounding, even though it is quite sort of raw and rough. And when I say raw and rough, it doesn't mean that um, the musicianship had suffered. It hadn't at all. But it was it was more like, I don't know, the aggression and the falling out of the band was really coming through on on the record. And it's it's just, yeah, the power behind some of those songs is absolutely incredible. So please do listen to that to that album. But like I say, relationships were incredibly strained and in 1972 bell left big star because of depression and heroin addiction although some believe he left the band because he felt overshadowed by the more famous and charismatic chilton he continued to struggle with depression despite working on numerous other musical projects on december 27 1978 chris bell died in a car accident at the age of 27 earning him a place in the infamous 27 club all members of this club died at the age of 27 from problems relating to drug addiction. Members include Jimi Hendrix, Kirk Bain, Janice Joplin and Amy Winehouse. And Paula um, covered the 27 Club back on a previous episode of ours where we had our special guests, God is in the TV. So you should you should certainly certainly go back and listen to that one. Anyway, the, the band um, continued 
to perform with um, Chilton leading the band until, sorry, the band, the band, Big Star, continued to perform with Chilton leading the band until 1974, after which the band members went their separate ways for almost 20 years, pursuing other musical endeavours. Chilton moved to New Orleans and pursued his career in jazz, recording several solo albums and performing with Panther Burns. Chilton was still in New Orleans in 2005 at the time of Hurricane Katrina and was eventually evacuated on September the 4th. I like to uh, throw in little random facts every now and then. I'm not sure if you've noticed. But anyway, in declining health, Alex Chilton died of a heart attack in 2010. Original member Andy Hummel joined a number of other artists, including Mike Mills, Chuck Prophet and the Watson Twins for a tribute concert held in Texas on March 20th. Hummel died three months after performing in the tribute concert. So Big Star, as a band, were only together for a really short period of time. They formed in 1971 and by 1974 they'd been dissolved. They had produced three studio albums that are considered masterpieces, two of which Chris Bell performed and co-wrote. The third album, he was well and truly um, out of the band by that point. But these these records have stood the test of time and they continue to influence uh, people today. And I do urge you to watch the documentary that was on Netflix. I think it might still be there. Well, I hope it's still there. Uh, it goes into a lot of detail about the band and some of the very sort of tragic stories around the demise of the band, which I've only literally just touched on some of that. It's absolutely heartbreaking and uh, so tragic that a band that was so good um, as this that that literally slipped slipped through the net of popularity. But then you know, hey ho, when I say hey ho, there are so many bands that that that, that happens to for a number of for a number of reasons. But the story doesn't end there because I do actually want to look a little bit more closely at Chris Bell and Alex Chilton. So I'm going to do that after we hear a bit more new music. I live in a big and beautiful house But it does still feel like a home I have hundreds of friends, so why? Why do I feel so alone? I run so fast, but I am standing I'm standing so still I wish things would go my way But that's not gonna happen for as long as I stay here In this place where nothing happens I'm stuck on a road to nowhere They say I'm the girl who's always smiling But they don't get to see me crying I can't breathe from the pressures you have placed on me I'm not all that you wanted Cause I'm so disappointed With the choices I have made So far down this road That I never chose This road to nowhere And I'm going nowhere soon In this place where nothing happens I'm stuck on a road to nowhere All supposed to turn out Oh, this is not what I spent my childhood Dreaming about But the road to nowhere is so easy And I am just so very lazy Childhood dreaming about 
But the road to nowhere is so easy And I am just so very lazy So I'll stay on this road to nowhere Stay on this road to nowhere I'm on a road to nowhere I'm on a road to nowhere I'm on a road to nowhere So that was Rachel Jack with the single Nowhere and that's actually her first single what an incredible voice. Got a bit of uh, Florence and the Machines in there in the early part of the song and then sort of dipped into sort of influences of first aid kit and very sort of country folk. So Rachel is from Scotland, northeast of Scotland, and she ditched her career in the corporate world to pursue um, music and do a bit of travelling and, uh, yeah, and we're glad she did. She's got such a wonderful, wonderful voice. And if this is just the first thing that she's she's written, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely incredible and just, you know, a taster of, of what's to come. So you can find Rachel in all of the usual places. She's on Facebook as Rachel Lojack. So that's R-A-C-H-E-L-L-O-J-A-C-K. And that's the same for Instagram as well. She also has a website, which is racheljack.co. UK. So I say it all the time, add it to a playlist, stream it, like it, share it with your friends. It doesn't cost you anything. And why wouldn't you want it added to a playlist anyway? I think it's such a great, a great song. This is where it's perfect opportunity for me to mention that we do actually have official Rock Pop Rambles playlists that are linked at the bottom of our Spotify profile. So do search for Bug Eye. And when you find us, scroll to the bottom of the profile and you'll see playlists for all of our shows. We group the shows together. So this will be grouped with episode 15. Um, obviously 15 and 16 will be on the same playlist and there'll be a link in the show notes anyway back to big star chris had been working for years on writing songs and when the album although so very hotly tipped was a commercial failure he was absolutely devastated to top it off chris and his long-term girlfriend split up and the band was as mentioned before quite violently um, falling apart by the time it was all over chris was in a psychiatric institution while Chris was out of action, Alex and the other two went back into the studio with some demos that had already been started and also started working on some new material. And a couple of years later, their second album was ready. It was called Radio City. So what happened to Radio City? Surely this one would be a big hit. Um, this, this received even better reviews um, than the first album. It is considered their greatest works. But sadly, it was still not a commercial success. The song September Girl did become a hit, but that was almost a decade, decade later, and that was when it was covered by Bangles. So the album Radio City still didn't cut through and the band split up. Chris Bell was still recovering from drug addiction and depression. He was from a wealthy family and so headed to Europe with his brother for an extended trip. He took with him two recordings he'd made and was honoured when Beatles engineer Jeff Emmerich mixed one of them for him. The song was called I Am Cosmos, which again is a beautiful song and it's very kind of Lennon-esque, I suppose you could say. It's sort of got this real sort of, how to explain it, it's kind of drenched in sadness, um, but still you can imagine yourself kind of sitting under a tree on a sunny day, kicking back, listening to this. Um, but even though it was such a fantastic song, he couldn't get any record companies to buy it. And so he headed back home. And this was at a time when EMI had just reissued the band's first two albums. So you would think that um, this would have been a great opportunity for him to have started his solo career, but that just wasn't to be the case. So like I say, he headed back home and he took a job with his family's restaurant management company while he set about forming a new band. One night after rehearsals, a few days after Christmas, his car went off the road and he was killed. Rumours by fans started that there was a third album of unreleased material cut in 1974. This proved to be true. It was raw, it was uncommercial, it was exactly what the fans were looking for. The album came out in 1978 under a small label, but unfortunately the band had been well and truly over for quite some time at this point and Alex was washing dishes in a New Orleans restaurant. 
Eventually, the band's reputation would grow to cult status and more reissues of their albums became available. All the people that had first bought the band's records all those years ago had kept citing them as a big influence and now in successful bands themselves. Alex came out of the kitchen and went back into the studio to produce The Cramps. Alex never became a big star, none of the band members did, but they did reach legendary status. Their records inspire and live on, but sadly they never got to experience the height of fame together, enjoy stadium shows, hit records or win any awards, but their music is no less important because of this. And that is the story of Big Star. And if you want to know more about Big Star, obviously Wikipedia is a great place to start. But um, there's a fantastic article on the vinylfactory.com, which is an introduction to Big Star in 10 records. So if you really do want um, a bit of an overview of the band and their music, that's, that's quite a good place to start. And they've got some playlists listed on there. There's loads of articles out there. Stereo Gum's got a really great one. Pitchfork, of course, have written about them. The Guardian, everyone. Um, you know, there's there's lots of information out there. But I think you'd be surprised how many big star songs you you really know quite well, actually, because they've been covered by a lot of bands. I already mentioned the Bangles covered September Girl. Garbage did a cover. Wilco. Their music's also been featured in film and TV shows such as Moulin Rouge, that 70s show and Adventureland. So, you know, they, they're a band that not just influenced um, a great deal of musicians out there. Their music has something that's kind of stood the test of time and been used in a variety of ways. Their songs have also been sampled on, on loads of things. There's, there's a great, there's a great um, website that I'll put a link to in the show notes, which is, which is all about where you can find where certain bits of music have been sampled and played. So that's just quite interesting, actually. Um, but I suppose that's that's it for this this week. I will end off with another new music discovery. But before that, I just want to get some housekeeping out of the way. If you are in a band or an artist and you do want to feature on the show, please do email us at um, rockpoprambles at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at Bug Eye Band or on Facebook at Bug Eye Music. I know the namings aren't consistent, but there you go. Um, who knew there was a sports car called Bug Eye that would take uh, those handles? But anyway, yeah, so Bug Eye Music on Facebook and Bug Eye Band on Twitter. Uh, we also do have a Patreon site. So if you do want to support the show, tiers start from as little as £1. And you get lots of bonus content, free music, uh, there's live streams, there's bonus podcasts and all sorts of things on there um so i suppose that's been us for another week and i'm just going to pull up my next record to play you which is by the astounds and i'm actually going to play you two songs not just one the first one is quite short and it's called can we go far and the second song i'm going to play is get up to me which is the opening track from their album now this is a band that just emailed me and it was literally just a link in the email which i wouldn't normally bother to click on but uh, but I clicked on it anyway and I listened to a few of their tracks and I liked it so much that I bought the album. It kind of sounds like it was recorded in a rehearsal room and it's almost like a, a jam. It's that kind of raw energy that comes through with this and um, it's kind of, you sort of feel like on the edge of your seat that it's that they're almost jamming and it's kind of what what's going to happen next. It kind of feels quite unexpected, but still quite tightly woven together. So it's not a knock on the band at all. They're clearly talented musicians. But uh, I also liked it for its kind of retro vibe and and feel to it. So I thought it'd be a great, great records to to end the show with. So here's the first track, Can We Go Far? Treat their home 